Hello, everybody. This week's parasha is parasha by Yishlach. The parasha begins with Yaakov sending messengers to Esav. By Yishlach, Yaakov, Malachim, Lefan of Al Esav, and he tells these messengers to tell Esav the following message. He says, "I'm Lavan Garti. I lived with Lavan." Says Rashi, "Why does he use the language of Garti? Because Garti is the same numerical value as Taryag. It's the gematria of 613." Yaakov is telling Esav. I lived with Lavan, but I still kept 613 mitzvahs. I didn't learn from his bad ways. Living with Lavan didn't change me. I'm still a tzaddik. And because of that, you should be afraid. You should know who you're messing with. You're messing with a real tzaddik. That's the message Yaakov sends to Esav. Now, there's once a uh, Hasidish Rebbe. He asked the Briskarov, he said like this. He said, he told the Briskarov the following Vartaira. He said, how could it be that Yaakov lived by Lavan for 20 years and didn't get affected? The Rambam tells us that the facts of life are a person gets affected by his surroundings to the point where the Rambam says a person lives in a town where people are wicked. A person has to move out. He has to go and live by himself because he's going to get affected by his surroundings. He's going to get affected by people around him. So how could Yaakov spend all this time by Lavan and come back and say, I'm Lavan Garti, but still Tariyag Mitzvah Shemarti? How did it happen? Said the Rebbe, I'll tell you how. The Pasuk continues and says, And they were to me as Shor V'chamar. Says the Rebbe, what Yaakov was saying is that the way I did it was because love unto me was like a Shor and a Chamar. I saw him like an ox and a donkey. That's how I looked at him. And that's why he didn't have effect on me. Because I knew who I was and I knew who he was. And I didn't learn from him. I'm not going to copy my donkey. I'm not going to copy my ox. So I'm not going to copy love either. So this girl told him, it's a beautiful vart. It's not how we learn Chumash. But the vart, in essence, is true. It's not the shot in the actual puzzle. Now, if I say, Mishkara was saying it's a true vart. It's a true vart. A way a person can avoid being affected by his surroundings is to recognize who he is. He has to realize that he's somebody who's living based off a of Torah, that's Hashem's direction for him, what's best for him in life. And he shouldn't be impressed. He shouldn't be, so to speak, trying to copy and to mimic people who are living all their animalistic instincts, people who are acting like a shar and a chamar. And if we recognize that, and if we live with that reality of recognizing who we are and what we live and what we're doing, we'll be able to not feel the need to try to mimic and copy others who are acting like a shar and a chamar. The Meshachachma points out a different thing in that Pasuk. Yaakov tells Esau, Vahili, shar v'chamar, tzoyin v'eved v'shivcha. I had oxen, I had donkeys, and I had sheep, and slaves, and servants. Now, if you look later, when Yaakov sends Esau a present, he sends camels as well. What happened to camels? Why does he only mention the fact that he has a shar, an ox, a chamar, a donkey, and sain and sheep? What's special about those animals? So Meshachachim explains as follows. He says, those three animals, we find that a person has the mitzvah of... Bechar, on those channels, the firstborn of a shar, the firstborn of a tzayin, and the firstborn of a chamar all have a certain kedusha, they have certain holiness, and they have to be redeemed by giving the money to the kain or a sheep to the kain, each one as it is. How is that so? Why is it that a Jew's animals, certain animals, have this mitzvah? Says the Meshachachim, because a Jew, a yid, his nefesh is so big, and his neshama is so great that even the animals who he owns, they become 
under his ownership, and they become attached, so to speak, to his neshama, and they get kedusha as well. The person's kedusha overflows onto his livestock, it overflows onto his possessions, and a Jew's possessions, his physical possessions, his animals, they're different, they're elevated, and they have mitzvahs on them. Yaakov is telling Esau, You don't realize what levels I've reached, Esau. I've gotten to the point where my shor, my chamar, my tzayin, they're a whole different level. They're obligated mitzvahs b'chayra. They have mitzvahs, and they have all kinds of mitzvahs upon them. And that's what the level I've reached at while these past 20 years have passed. Yaakov Avinu, after he sends his bribe to Esav, this, this gift, he finds out that Esav is coming to kill him. Esav has 400 armed men, and they're coming to kill out Yaakov and his whole family. And Yaakov, he prepares a, a bigger bribe, and he prepares to try to, you know, to, to, to fight. He goes through different things he could do, and then he davens. Obviously, he davens a Kosh and he says, I am humbled. I've been made small from all the kindnesses and all the goodness you've done to me, etc. And he begins to daven. Cesar of Palm, he points out this very, very fundamental thing here, which is that Yaakov Avinu is in a very, very tough spot right now. Esav is coming to destroy him and his family. And he's davening to Hashem for his life. But in that moment, Yaakov Avinu is somebody who's able to get to the point where he's still a maker He's still able to say, I'm humble by all the kindness you've done to me. Yaakov realizes and remembers that 20 years ago, before when he just left Eretz Yisrael, Eliphaz stole everything he had from him. He was penniless. He was 77 years old and he was a bachelor. He had no family. And now, 20 years later, he's coming here with Kenai Nahara, 12 kids, four wives, slaves, servants, sheep, camels, you name it. He has so much to lose, but all that he, he's worried about losing, all that was a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He didn't have it before. And in Yaakov's moment of tzara, Yaakov is able to see and to appreciate HaKadosh Baruch Hu's kindness, and he davens to Hashem to keep giving him that kindness and to give him more and to keep him safe from Esav. And something that I think is very important for all of us, we daven for things, and we, we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we should ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he wants us to daven for him, but we also have to appreciate and to realize how kind he's been to us and how he's given us these things that we want to daven for and that we want to appreciate. Yaakov Inu goes back in the middle of the night to go back to get some stuff that he forgot and he's attacked by the Malach of Esau and he struggles with him. He fights them the whole night. Yaakov wins him and eventually the Malach tells Yaakov, send me back ki Allah ha-shachar. Shachini ki Allah ha-shachar. The Gemara Chul in Salih says what he was saying was that his whole, so to speak, life, his existence, whatever Malach, you want to call it, he never had a chance yet to say Shira. This morning is his chance to say Shira, this praise is Takash Baruch Hu, and he has to be let go. And the question is, it's funny how it's ironic, the one morning Yaakov conquers him, that's when he has to go and say Shira. You know, like, yeah, I have an urgent appointment right now, I really got to go right now, right this second. What's going on over here? Says Rechaim Brisker, because when does a Malach say Shira? When does a Malach express his Shira? Is when a Malach fulfills his mission. Every Malach has a mission. He has a tafkid, he has a job he's supposed to bring out in the world. And when that job is accomplished, he says Shira, he brings out the Kash Baruch Hu's praise that was accomplished through this, this thing that he fulfilled. 
the Malach of Samuel, the Malach of the Yitzhahara, his job was to create a struggle for people, to make people have a hard time, to make people try to have to fight against the Yitzhahara, but ultimately his real purpose is to have somebody overcome him. Until Yaakov came around, Yaakov was the one who really at this moment, at this, at this particular night, he was the one who fully, fully, fully conquered the Yitzhahara. He fully beat him down, and he, so to speak, fulfilled the Yitzhahara's tafkid. He made the Yitzhahara, so to speak, complete his mission. He fought, he gave someone a really, really hard time, and that person conquered him. And that's why this morning particularly, this malach has to go now and say shira, because his job was done. Somebody conquered the Yitzhahara. And we have to recognize that. Yes, we have a Yitzhahara. Yes, he makes life difficult. Yes, he puts struggles up. Every time we try doing something good, Specifically then, we have a hard things come up. Specifically then, things get difficult because there is a Yetzirah. But says the Chayos, you have to remember something else. The Yetzirah is made to be conquered. That's his goal. That's his, that's his mission. His job is there to be there, to be overcome. And whenever we face him, we have to know that we have the ability to overcome him. We are supposed to overcome him. And we can overcome him if we just push a little harder. One end off one last part. The parsha at the end of the parsha, the middle of the parsha, says the story of Leah and Shechem. How Leah was attacked by Shechem. Very, very difficult parsha to understand. A lot of questions on the parsha. But the Rishis Chachma, one of the um, early Achrayim who lived in Tzfas, is a Makubal. He says something very, very practical. We have to learn out of this week's parsha and the story of Leah of, of Dina and Shechem. And he says like this. If you look at the parsha, what happens? You have a guy, I don't know how old he is exactly, but he's apparently still enough to be old enough to be spoiled by his parents, but you know, Shechem wants to marry Dina. Chashka Nafsha. He really, really wants to marry her. And he goes and he asks his father to try to negotiate on his behalf. His father comes to Yaakov and his sons. He offers them as much money as they want. He says, Harbolai, Mayaramatin. Charge me whatever you want. And then Shimon and Levi figure, they'll trick him. They'll tell him something crazy. Okay, go and get your whole city to have a bris mila. Fine, it's obviously not going to happen, and they'll be able to leave with Dina. But what happens? He manages to go do it. He goes, and he convinces his entire city to get a bris mila. Now everybody's like, I think Olami published that it costs around, on average, $300,000 to make a guy from. Which means with all the programs that they spend and all the money and all the people they're hiring, all the money they're pumping in, for the amount of people who are actually becoming from at the end of every, so to speak, cycle, it's around $300,000 per person to become from. It's very difficult to get someone to do anything or to change their ways. To get an entire city to have a bris mila, it's not simple. It's not an easy task. But yet he manages to do it. Shechem manages to do it. Why? How? The answer is, He really, really, really wanted it to happen. He really wanted this taiva. He really wanted to live with Dina. So he made it happen. Shechem did it for something wrong, for something evil, for an avera. But what we see here is the kachas of a person, the, the ability a person has, that if it's something he really wants, something he has a cheshek for, a love, a drive, a yearning for, there's nothing he can't do. There's nothing that can stop him. There's no task that's too big. 
And we have to take that message as Rish HaChachma for our service, our Kodesh Baruch Hu. If we can build up our cheshek, if we can sit down and learn and, and get ourselves to appreciate what it means to be close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to do his mitzvahs, and we build up that cheshek, nothing can stop us. There's nothing that will be too big, nothing that will be too difficult. So we'll have a wonderful Shabbos.